This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. I know that there's two sides to this life. As much of a warrior as you are, I always say we're the ones that know that the horrors of war don't want that. I think warriors also naturally know it's so important to be gentle at those times in life when you're supposed to be. To take care of the children and the poor and the weak. Take care of those who suffer. And, and you got to do that. That doesn't mean that you just give them stuff. It means you take care of them at the right time. But, you know, it's like they say, you can give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish. So which is being generous and which is just being gratuitous? Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike Thank you for listening and being there And if you're subscribing We appreciate the heck out of that guys Really, really do Everybody out there it's Christmas 2021. That's the time of the year, baby. <laughs> Christmas Day, but it's on the way. And I put a lot of importance on that. So let me tell you about my weekend. First off, I was away for a few days. I got back and I had seen someplace that the Boost Fighters and uh, Chapter 101 up in L.A. was having their annual toy run and Christmas party on Saturday the 11th. I didn't know I'd be in town. I've been traveling a lot. I've been doing a lot. So I called my friend Bobby Krauss, who's the president of Boost Fighters Chapter 101. Now, let, let me tell you a little bit about Boost Fighters Chapter 101. It's way up there, like the Burbank area. It's the Hollywood chapter, but they function a lot north of Hollywood and all that. And I, I think it was about 12 years ago. Robert Patrick, who's been a friend of mine for 30 years and who I met through Bobby Krause that long ago. Wow, he started thinking back. Anyway, I remember when he started a Booze Fighter chapter. I knew the Booze Fighters. As a matter of fact, Wino Willie was in my shop. I have a picture of me and him at San Diego Harley Davidson. And this goes back before they, what was it, their 50th anniversary in 97? from the 47th thing and, and yeah, and, and the whole thing. So we're talking a long time ago. And of course, my friend Snowman, the fabulous Snowman, is, is the best. Was the boost fighter here in San Diego. I'm trying to give you just a little sense of history. I go back with Bobby Krause since he's a little, he's a kid. When I went back to New York because my dad had died, my dad was an amazing guy, and he had amazing friends. And one of them was Big Al Krause, and I get to New York to try to take care of my family. And I could not have done it without the fact that my dad left a legacy and people that loved and respected him. And they helped me more than any treasure he could have left me. And Big Al Krause was one of them. He mentored me to, you know, be able to do what I had to do to take care of the family, build the business, on and on and on. Years later, I moved to California, and I remember Bobby when Big Al was there, and he, you know, just casually meet friend, family. 
And so there I am in California now, like 1989, because Bobby was riding an 8080. And it was beautiful. I still remember it on that bike, man. It was like the green and beige color. It was a 1980, 80-inch Harley Davidson. It was a beautiful bike. And so, you know, we've been friendly ever since and ride once in a while. And then he introduced me to Robert Patrick. And I'm pretty sure it was before the Terminator. And then we became friendly and stayed friendly. And Robert Patrick started that Boost Fighter chapter. And Robert's really about those Boost Fighters, man. He's always, as long as I've known him, and way before, obviously, he's been a motorcyclist and a hell of a rider. Interesting, because the way he got the part in The Terminator was Billy Idol. Life is kind of weird about some things. Billy Idol, who was supposed to do that role, had a motorcycle crash and couldn't do it. And that's how Robert got the role. I just realized that as I'm telling you the story of how much of a committed motorcycle enthusiast Robert Patrick is. And all of a sudden it hit me, wait a minute, that's funny, isn't it? Life is funny. Some people say, always be prepared. Opportunities do not schedule appointments. Just a little Christmas thing. So Robert starts this chapter and then a year or two after he started riding with me, across from California to Washington, D.C. for Rolling Thunder. When he gets into this, he gets into it, man. This man is like one of these focused guys. You see the way he is in Terminator? He's the T-1000. You see the way he's just, that's the way he is. That's him. He didn't have to stretch, man, for that role. Well, he did. He trained hard. But that's the intensity of Robert when he does something. That's how he does it. And starting this chapter and being involved. I mean, boost fighters, man. We travel across the country. This man is always in his colors. From this chapter, Boost Fighters grew. The other chapters developed from this chapter, got big. And eventually, Bobby Krauss became president. I just want to give that little bit of a background. So I saw their Instagram page they have in their annual toy drive and, and Christmas party. So I decided I'm going to write up, and I did. And I went up Saturday morning. And it's a couple of hundred miles from San Diego. The, the problem is, you know, when we ride a couple of hundred miles someplace across Texas, you know, you're going from Van Horn to, uh, I don't know, whatever. It's, yeah, boom, you get in the bike and you ride. Go do that in California. Ah, oh, the lane splitting, the traffic, the bullshit, the changing from, you know, Highway 15 to 91 to the 71 to the 57 to the 210 to the, I mean, oh my God. God, it's crazy. And then not only the traffic, but the way people, but California, if you're a motorcyclist, you could split lanes and thank God, because I'm going to split lanes anyway, but you don't have to be looking over your shoulder every second to see if there's a cop that's going to pull you over. And, and I haven't pulled over, so it's no fun in Wyoming. It's no fun in Nebraska. Trust me, any of these places, Virginia. Anyway, I ride up. And get there, and you know, it's close to 200, maybe 180 something miles. And I keep my gas tank pretty full. So I'm riding up and I'm going, okay, I see the mileage, you know, I get to about 140, 150 miles. And I'm looking down. And when you're doing that bump of the bumper change and things and that, your gas mileage is not going to be as crisp, as generous as it is when you're just going down the freeway and driving across Texas. 
So, you know, I'm going, oh, geez, I better, better try to get off and get gas. Plus, I'm on the bike for two hours. You want to hit ahead, get a cup of coffee, blah, blah. There's no place to stop. Trust me. From here to Burbank, there being San Diego to Burbank, I guess there's places to stop if you know where you're going and what you're doing and how to get. I pulled off once. I, I did. I went off the road on, I don't know, it was 57 or 71, one of those roads. There's nothing there. I got back on the freeway. And I'm going, okay. I'm going to get to Burbank and then I'll figure it out. So I get back on the freeway and I go all the way to Burbank. And lo and behold, now I, I think I had something like, really, I, I looked at it, I think it was 178 miles on the Speedo. And I could squeeze 200. But I can't go to the event and then go on the ride to Pasadena with what I had in the tank. So I pull off and I go, oh, shit, I'm going to have to find a gas station. And as I get off, and before I make the right turn on North Hollywood Drive, boom, there's a gas station. Just like that. Yeah, baby. Pull in, fill up the bike, and then, what do you know, I'm two miles away from the Elks Club in Burbank where they have an event. So I get there, I'm pretty sure it was a little before 11 o'clock, and I knew that wheels up was 11.30, but I was hungry. So I pull in, oh, this is a good... 80 or more motorcycles backed to the fence and you're going into the Elks Club. And I get off the bike and I walk to the club and there's Robert and, and hey, Mike, you know, blah, we're waiting for you. That's ah, great, man. And, and I, I go inside and there's Bobby. And it was such a cool setup. This Elks Club is a pretty big place and they had tables all set up. And then you pay your $10, which Bobby Cross was very gracious and he paid. My, he gave the guy his money. I don't remember what it was, 10, 15 bucks, and got a little ticket so I can have breakfast. <laughs> Thanks, man. You don't have to do that. And he goes, yeah, sit down. They'll take care of you. Great. Sit at the table. And at the table, me, Robert Patrick, Bobby Krause, and Bobby's nephew, John Krause, and his wife, Molly. And I had never met John, but Bobby talks about him all the time. Well, he talks about his family. He's a big family guy, man. He's got his two older brothers and their kids. And it's always been that way. And, of course, I, I've known this guy 50 freaking years. I meet John Krause, who's a, a professional singer, actor, dancer, and all that. And what a nice kid. I mean, he's in his 20s. His wife is there. So we were chatting. And I didn't ask, why are you here? You're not riding the motorcycle. <laughs> you know, we're just chatting, having breakfast. Well, the breakfast is being served by these Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts. Yes, it's a toy drive for Chris. And by the way, their eighth annual for this hillside house for foster kids in Pasadena. And so that's where we're going to ride to as soon as, you know, the ride starts. And then they're coming back to the Elks Club afterwards for the Christmas party. So we're sitting there having breakfast. It was so touching, the way it was done. You know, I go to a lot of toy runs and events and stuff. It's all meaningful, and they're there for a great purpose. And sometimes you get one that just makes you feel like, wow, this is so cool. I was a Boy Scout. I said that before. And this is just good-hearted kids that are trying to learn skills and grow up and it, it, it's just good stuff, and they're serving the community. Nothing changes. It's just the way it was back in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, and the Troop 611. I was a Cub Scout. Cub Scouts were a little bit rough. I remember the fights I had as a kid, and 
that Cub Scout troop. I don't know the difference. And it was like, what, nine, ten years old? Yeah. It seemed like every one of the pack meetings, a fight would break out. Just the way it was in the projects. Anyway, it was enjoyable. It really was. And then after we had this great breakfast, pancakes and sausages, great. Everything was great. The coffee was all good. And we're eating. It gets to be 1130 and Bobby's going, okay, because he's, he's wrangling this whole thing, man. And okay, we're getting ready to go. Everybody comes inside and his nephew, John, gets up to sing the national anthem. I love the national anthem. I do. I love this country. And that national anthem really says a lot. And I love it when it's performed in a way. It, everybody has a different style. It's so unique. There is no perfect way. There's no really right way, I don't think. But I like it when you can understand every word and it explains what's going on. That America's under attack. That Fort McHenry is being bombarded by the British fleet. And these guys are watching that flag through the night, through the perilous fight. They could see that flag flying over the ramparts of the fort. All the ramparts we watched through the perilous fight. And the only way they could tell is the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in as they burst. They could see the flag. <laughs> gave, gave proof to the night their flag was still there. And so he performed it, and it was beautiful. The way he sounded was just powerful. And you could hear each word as he sung it. You could tell this man is a professional entertainer as he lent that talent to all of us in the room who appreciated that. And, you know, with all those Boy Scouts there, man, you know those kids did and any of their parents that were around. It was a great moment. I love it when Gavin Fax sang the national anthem at the events at the Love Ride and at my event at Mount Rushmore, the veterans ride at Mount Rushmore. Lorenzo Lamas always did a great job. This kid, John Krause, just knocked it out of the park, really did. So when that was done, we jumped on the bikes and we all rode. They were very gracious. You know, Robert invited me up front behind Bobby. And it was cool. I'm not a pack rider. I don't do that a lot. But it was cool. It was great. It was a, a rough ride. Again, here you got 100 bikes riding through the same kind of traffic. It's hard, man. It's Saturday afternoon. I'm going from Burbank to Pasadena with a whole group of bikers. I'm looking at my rear view and I'm seeing as I, you know, go in behind Bobby and get between the car to get into the lane, everybody, like a snake, just follows right in line. It took us about 45 minutes. And then we get to the um, hillside home. I believe this was their eighth annual toy drive to Hillside. And it was cool, man. They did a bang-up job. The people there seemed really cool. It's Pasadena. I was blown away. I've been to Pasadena once, and that was for Sugar Bear's wedding. And that was several years ago, and we went there, and it was nice. We went in and we went out. For some reason, when you're on a bike and you're winding through streets and you're going slow because, you know, it's just, just me or me and Petrina are just jetting someplace. You're on, you're on a bunch of bikes, got 100 bikes, so you go kind of slow through the streets and everything. And you, well, I'm looking around. I said, wow, this place is beautiful. What a beautiful town. Beautiful homes, clean. It was just really nice. My first riding through the streets of Pasadena. 
And I was very impressed. And then we get to this hillside home. and It was beautiful, tucked away behind some homes. And obviously, it, it is a place for foster children, but you'd never know. You could drive through those streets all day long. It's built to be in just part of this whole neighborhood. And it was really nice. And we spent a couple, about an hour and a half, two hours, distributed the toys and they brought it in. Boost fighters do a great job. But a lot of clubs, motorcycle clubs, I don't know anything about Honda clubs, all that. But basically the American motorcycle clubs, Harley Davidson, Indian, just very generous about their time, especially with kids, with veterans groups. And Christmas time is a time to give, and especially to kids. It's always touching. I'm looking forward between now and Christmas Day. By the way, Christmas Day, the Boost Fighters in San Diego, as I said before, Snowman, has their big event that we've been doing. I've been doing it with them, I don't know how many years now, with the Frank King event where they get all these bicycles and the poorest neighborhood around, the booze fighters get there at what, five in the morning when the kids wake up and they come out and they pick out their bicycles, and their Christmas present, their toys. It's great. So I, I don't want to take away from one to the other because you don't do it that way. Everything is you know important and just as good and just as generous and good hearted as it should be during the Christmas season. So we did it, and then we ride back. Now it's about 2 o'clock, 2.30, as we ride back to the Elks Club for the Christmas party. So I'd say half the crew, or maybe less, came back to the Elks Club for the Christmas party. And I feel badly for the ones that didn't, because it was a great party. The Elks Club, what a terrific place, with a beautiful bar, great building. But we go inside, and Bobby had set up this you know, this great Christmas party. And the food was extraordinary. It came from some little Italian place. I think he said Pinocchio's or something in Burbank. And I don't mind giving a shout out because that's how good the food was. Of course, uh, the prospects took care of us. Great guys. Couldn't do a thing, man. Everything was taken care of. Everything was set up. It was awesome. The first thing I see is this big bowl of salad. Fantastic, man. I mean, great lettuce, fresh tomatoes, blue cheese all over. It was fantastic. So I had the salad and then either the rigatoni with the meatballs. It was great. And then if you didn't want the rigatoni, you got the ziti with the meatballs. And it was also good, those meatballs. Fantastic meatballs. What, what, a, what a treat. And everything else about it was excellent. Everything was taken care of. It was just a fun day. I've probably gone on way, way too much, but I got to finish by telling you, what a miserable ride home. Now, you, you got to remember, I had filled my bike up with gas when I got there, and I'm good for two-something, you know. And then we did the Pasadena thing in back, and now I get on the bike, and I'm getting ready to ride home, and it's like four-something, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. I said to Robin, hey, man, this was great. I want to get home before dark. I'm getting out of here, he says. I don't think you're going to make it, Mike. And I look around, I go, yeah, I think you're right. When I got out of there, the sun was still shining. And when you're traveling west and the sun is setting in the west, blah, you know what it's like, right? You ride a motorcycle, man. You could drive a car. 
with that sun in your eyeballs. And it's like, oh, this is crazy. So anyway, that lasted for the first 20 minutes, half hour. Then that starts going down. And you know what came? After the sun went down, it got cold. So I'm on the bike, and I got my leather jacket. And I was set up, and I'm on the bike, and I'm in traffic, and I'm trying to get back, and I'm splitting lanes, and I'm riding, and things are opening up, and I'm doing pretty good. And I look down, and I'm, you know, maybe 80, 100 miles down the road. It's like 5.30, dark and cold, and I'm freezing. Now, I could have pulled over any time I wanted. So let's get this right. It's, you know, I'm cold, but I got the capacity to do whatever it takes to get warm. Trust me. I could put on chaps. I could put on a, a sweatshirt. So I didn't. It, in today's world, you don't have to be cold when you're on a motorcycle ride, okay? If you prepare right, and don't forget the Boy Scouts, be prepared. Because opportunity doesn't schedule appointments, but you got to be prepared anyway. And, and so I just refused to stop and rode all the way down. And I look at the gas thing and close to 200 miles, I still have gas. So I'm just going. Dark and cold and nasty and traffic. But I got all the way down to Temecula, pulled off, got gas, and then made it home. So that was that. Just my little Christmas tour. I don't think I'm going to do it again. I, I know I got rides coming up. I think I've got the Father Joe ride this weekend at San Diego Harley. I think it starts up here in Oceanside and goes down to San Diego and comes back. I started that. Now it's Brother Baino and St. Vincent de Paul that we raised the money for. And it's it's a big event. It's gotten big. It's like, what, 25 years old now? And I mean, it's been going on for a long time. <laughs> and I've seen as many as two, 300 bikes used to go from San Diego Harley when I owned it to Kennedy's when he was still here. Bill Kennedy, I think Mike Kennedy, his brother is with him. And, and they're in Kentucky. And boy, I, I tried to reach out. I called Bill Kennedy's old phone number, which I had. Of course, it's a 760 area code, but I call him to see how he's doing because of the tornado. And it, it's not in existence anymore. The, the number isn't. So I called Pastor Z, and I'm hoping he gets me Bill Kennedy's number just to make sure that, that he's okay. I think Bill is a roll right radio listener. So if you're out there, buddy, give me a call. My number hasn't changed. So think about all that. It's Christmas time. And yeah, when I think about Christmas, I'm a Jew. I love being Jewish. I love not only my religion, my people, my heritage. I really do. It means a lot to me. So if I don't talk about it, I mean, I talk about it Hanukkah time because that's such a great holiday for me, celebrating the Maccabees, you know, defeating the Philistines, taking back the temple. As a kid, I was always that warrior mentality. And that's always been what I've been most proud of, thinking about King David and thinking about the Maccabees and thinking about, you got to be willing to fight. I know that there's two sides to this life. As much of a warrior as you are, I always say we're the ones that know that the horrors of war don't want that. I think warriors also naturally know it's so important to be gentle at those times in life when you're supposed to be, to take care of the children and the poor and the weak, take care of those who suffer. And, and you got to do that. That doesn't mean that you just give them stuff. It means you take care of them at the right time. 
But, you know, it's like they say, you can give a man a fish or you could teach him how to fish. So which is being generous and which is just being gratuitous? And I also remember from my earliest memories growing up in a, I don't know what you'd call the neighborhoods I grew up in Brooklyn, but, you know, they weren't Jewish, that's for sure, man. Where I grew up was all Christian, mostly Catholic. And I remember as the littlest kid, they always said, hey, put Christ in Christmas. Don't forget, it's not just about the toys and it's not just, a, and it's not. But I always think about what's really important. And I talk about this with my friends. We've been talking about this for the last few days with several different friends of mine as we talk about Christmas and this year and politics and all the things that are going on. And it's the spirit. It's the power of the human spirit. It's that power that we want to build. And you need that, the sustenance. You need the ability to fight and to build and to do what it is that you have to do. What makes this country so great? You know, they talk about the greatest generation. And I've talked about that a lot. What makes a generation great? Every generation has its great freedom fighters and those who give so much for the rest of their generation. And, you know, like World War II, they call the greatest generation. What, are they referring to the soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, those who put their lives on the line and so many who sacrificed and died? Is that what they're referring to? Because every generation has that. Every generation. From the Revolutionary War, the 1812, the Civil War, is is every generation has those who serve and put their lives out there for the rest of us. What I think this generation was called the greatest generation was business, industry, all the people, all supporting our military and foreign policies and coming together as a people to survive. America was under attack, and we had to come together, and we did come together. But it wasn't easy to come together. I mean, everybody thinks the whole country was all together fighting World War II, and to a great extent, we were. But my dad walked the beaches of New Jersey, and they had to patrol the beaches of New Jersey because there were these German sympathizers that would pull up on the beach and point their headlights on the water so the German U-boats would see where the water's edge was. There were demonstrations all over the Upper West Side of New York, in quote-unquote Germantown, where they would have these bones, you know, that they would build fires, and they were supportive of Hitler, the Nazis, Germany. There was plenty of protests. There were plenty of people who were against World War II. There were plenty of people who, who were against us going in on the side of Germany. Don't think it was a walk in the park. But there was also the overwhelming support of our country by our citizens. I talked about Rosie the Riveter. And by the way, women, just because they'd said, oh, I'm going to be Rosie the Riveter, they still had to take care of the kids and the home front. And it wasn't as easy. You didn't have the refrigerators we have now. You had ice boxes. You didn't have, you know, the stoves and the dishwashers and the conveniences. Things had to be done. A lot of food was made by hand. The laundry was done by hand. Anyway, you got to remember, they dropped everything. 
the men were drafted. 15% of the country was serving. That's a huge number. Right now, we've got a lot of people in uniform. It's less than one half of 1%. It's like 0.047 or something percent serving in the country. I think at the height of the Vietnam War, it was 1.5%. Now, I could be a little bit off, but I'm not much off. So, you know, most of the country, 15% is huge. Serving in our military, and so many dying, almost a half a million, over 400,000 in just four years. Dying. How many were coming back wounded? I mean, it was a tough time in America. But the country got together. I'm not going to sit here and say it's okay. Because we should have seen it coming. I've been talking about that. We knew it was coming. We saw it. The world was at war. Germany was marching on Poland. The Netherlands, they were taking over Europe. Japan was taking over China. We saw what was going on. We had American volunteers, the Flying Tigers, all these people. We knew what was going on. We saw what was going on. And now we know the New York Times knew everything going on in the Holocaust and lied about it. Covered up for Stalin. Yeah. I mean, these are things we find out as we go along. You look back. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. You look back, things are uncovered over time. I think the New York Times newspaper is criminal, criminally liable. They should be just put out of business. They should be sued. I mean, Salzburg, it's too late to throw them in jail. That's too bad. But, you know, these are the things that, that went on, that were covered up. I don't want to excuse it. But after Pearl Harbor... And we finally were able to unleash this sleeping giant. It took everybody in the country. The men that joined the military, the women that went into the factories and did all the work that was being done by the men that were gone. And some of them gone permanently. The whole country changed and the whole country came together. And yes, in spite of those demonstrations I talked about, in spite of all the people that are always going to be there fighting any war. And maybe that's not the worst thing in the world because war is the worst thing in the world. So when people are demonstrating, even I get it, there's got to be that little bit of fire that says war is wrong. Okay, but you're not going to survive. You're not going to be here if you don't win this war. If you don't fight at least to a stalemate, to a standoff, you got to do something. So they fought, and they fought at home. They fought on the home front. They fought everywhere, in the streets, in the alleys, everywhere, in the factories, by building, by working. And that's, that's how America was saved. And I always think about things like, it's Christmas time. And I think about what was Christmas like in 1941? December 7th, Pearl Harbor's attacked. 2,400 Americans are killed in one, one day in a few hours. Boom, a sneak attack. A horrible thing. We're suffering. We're trying to gather our forces together. War is beginning. And here it's Christmas, 1941, 80 Christmases ago. What was it like? What was it like for families to come together knowing that their sons are going off the war. In some cases, their daughters were too. Don't forget, 
you know, this is an, another one of those change moments. Women join the military as well. They weren't on the front lines of the battles, but nurses always were. There were always were some women doing some things, whatever their role was. And they were just as important as anybody else, everybody else's roles. And it's gotten more important over the years. So when we talk about courage, we talk about commitment, you've got to understand it's the intangibles that win and lose wars. The intangibles, the human mind, the human spirit. It's the mindset. It's the human mind. You've got to have a mindset. And everything else will follow, but without commitment, without that confidence, the belief. And by the way, the insecurity. What is courage? Courage is the ability to function when you're scared to death. That's what courage is. Yeah, it's not not being afraid. It's not not being afraid. We're all afraid from time to time. You know, I remember as, as a young paratrooper, yeah, everybody's got a mentor, right? And the old guys, part of the mentoring thing. I remember a guy telling me and a couple of friends of mine, if I remember right, it was during jump school at Fort Benning. You know, we're sitting around, and I remember a guy telling us a story that, he goes up in the plane. In those days, it was a C-119. <laughs> the jump master's there, and he's an older guy. You know, obviously, he's old. He's probably 25. <laughs> They're all geared up, sitting in the, the webbing, getting ready to go. And the guy's right leg is just shaking. You know, sometimes you see guys' legs shaking. And he goes, the guy's telling the story. So I, I said, Sergeant, he says, your, your, your leg is shaking. This ain't your first time. You're the jump master. And you've had how many jumps? 150. I mean, my God. The guy says, yeah, I'm scared to death. Maybe you don't want to jump. He said, let me tell you something. He says, I've been scared to death the first time I ever got into an airplane. I hate flying. I hate jumping. I'm a paratrooper. But the day that I stopped being scared, that's the day I stopped jumping out of airplanes. And so I always remember that story. I probably didn't tell it well. But when that sergeant told it to me and, and my friends, it made us feel good. It said, okay, we all have butterflies. There's always things that make you hesitant. Your insecurity, confidence that you have in yourself is what's going to help you get the mindset to say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get that done. And you're always overcoming something. That's what's important, the human spirit. And that's what Christmas is about. All right, think about all those families with kids headed to our border, paying coyotes, being sex trafficked, raped, used by the cartels to carry drugs, fentanyl from China. Yeah, coming up, but being transported up by these families who are being used by the cartels, okay? How's their Christmas? It isn't all toys, vacations family photos, and Christmas dinner. They're suffering all over humanity. The tornadoes in Kentucky, Arkansas. And, and we should do what we can for our fellow citizens. I always think about Samaritan's Purse and the Red Cross. Two instances of the Red Cross. Again, back in Vietnam, I'm there with the 101st Airborne, and we had a, a limited time to be there. And then time's up. 
and we get to go back. And I'm in the field. And they go, hey, it's your, your turn, man. You go back. I go, wow. Now you're in the middle of the field. You're in your dirty fatigues. I got a duffel bag that I, you know, carry every, if we, if we move camp someplace else, it stays back at base camp all the time. So I go, yeah, I go, hurry up, get your duffel bag, get the hell out of here. So I'm in the middle of the jungle. We go and I get a ride to the Trang and in the Trang, I get on a little army mohawk plane that takes us to Saigon. And on the plane is a second lieutenant, gold bars. He's going home on leave because his dad in Ohio had a heart attack. And the only way he was able to get home was that the Red Cross gave him the money. I remember talking to him the whole way back. It was just me and him. Well, it wasn't just me and him all the way. We go on the Mohawk, it was just me and him. Then we get the Saigon. Then we get on the plane, the TWA flight with all the troops, and we land at Travis Air Force Base. First, we went to Japan, then to Travis. And then we get all Travis, we're coming down the thing, and we hear the loudspeakers. Anybody needing transportation to McGuire Air Force Base? We go right down the, the stairs out of the plane, just long enough for all the freaking hippies and shit to be throwing stuff at us. Walk along the fence line to wherever we're going there, check our duffel bags, looking for contraband and whatever. And meanwhile, we're getting, I, I remember them yelling and spitting at us. They couldn't reach us, but there they were. I don't know what they were doing inside the flight line area of Travis Air Force Base, but there they were. But then we go right on the C-5A, if I remember right, and they're right on that. And it was just me, him, and some Army major in dress blues. And we fly the McGuire Air Force Base. And he was just so grateful. And, you know, he wanted to get back, but he was so grateful his dad had a heart attack. He didn't have any wherewithal to get home but the Red Cross. The Red Cross took care of him. That little story stayed with me. I've heard good and bad things about the Red Cross, but they raise money and they do these kind of things and they're there for us. And there they are. They're in Kentucky right now. By the way, when we got to McGuire, it was five in the morning. There was no way, no public transportation. And he had to get to Kennedy to get a flight to Ohio. So I didn't have any money in my pocket. came in the jungle. Well, he had fatigues on as well. So... Yeah, he was 101st Airborne, second lieutenant. We get off. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. There's no public transportation. And so the only way to get to Kennedy Airport from McGuire, which is probably about 80 miles on the Jersey Turnpike, I'm thinking, is a cab. And it was a 42. I'll never forget it. Some things you just always remember. It was a $42 cab ride. And I had two American dollars in my pocket. I don't even know where that came from. I had two American dollars. And I go, sir, that's, and they say, oh, let's jump in the cab. And, you know, he paid the 40 bucks. I don't remember how, whenever. I guess the Red Cross gave him some cash to get home with. So that's how I got back. Another quick story, not a Christmas story, but when Harley Davidson brought their bikes, they donated to the New York Police departments, 45. 15 bikes to the Port Authority Police, 15 bikes to the New York City Police, and 15 bikes to the State Patrol, okay? But the first 15 bikes, I followed back in my pickup truck with my bike in the back. We go back, and each of those bikes was ridden by an employee who won the lottery to ride the bike back. And when we got to Staten Island to give the bikes 
to those cops, it turned out each of the riders also carried a check for a million dollars made out to the Red Cross. The Red Cross is important. And so are organizations like Samaritan's Purse and all these other stories. This is what we do as Americans. We are the most generous people on earth. And there's so many more stories of toy drives and people helping people after tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and earthquakes and all kinds of fires. We step up as a people. We don't look to the government. Yes, the government's got to be there. Yes, we need that. But we also need the people because you know what? When the people come out to help other people, they're also raising their hopes, giving them confidence, giving them the feeling that they're there. I remember when Mike Warnock, my buddy Mike Warnock, Paul Authority Cop, flew out after 9-11. It's funny how things go back to 9-11 when you think about American generosity and stepping up and helping each other. But I remember we flew him out to the Love Ride that year. That was in November of every year. So from September 11th, here's November. And Mike came out because Oliver from Glendale Hawley, that's his Love Ride, was going to cut him a check. I asked him to cut him a check for 25 grand. He actually gave him a check for 40 grand. Mike stood up there and looked around at this huge crowd, thousands of bikers. And he was just so touched. And forget it, I mean, on the stage, it was like, hello, California. He did a great job. But afterwards, just to know, we're in New York City. I don't even think about people outside of New York even knowing what happened. They weren't there. They didn't see it and feel it. But yet here I am, 3,000 miles away in California. And I realized, because me, I'm all over, and I see it here and there, and I'm from here, and I went there. But, you know, he's there. And he comes here, and just that feeling gave him, you could see the glow, man. You could see how good it made him feel that here's the whole country that, yeah, they understand, they knew, they feel. This is amazing. And that's what's going on in America. And that's what we need to focus on. That's what the Christmas spirit is about. That's what the holidays are about, especially Christmas, because this is the essence the birth of Jesus Christ. Some little Jewish kid in Bethlehem, for crying out loud. Yeah! It's the birth of a whole religion, a huge, overwhelming religion that has done so much for humanity. Come on. Don't sell it short. Don't think it's something small. It's not just where you are. It's all over the world. It's brought peace and hope. And I know people always say, oh, yeah, you and your religion stuff. Yeah, it brought wars. This is why people, no, it's brought the confidence and the spirit to fight. Even though they're scared half to death, it gave people the courage because they knew that they had God on their side to overthrow those that would subjugate them, that would dominate them. It helped them rise up in every single case. People don't fight wars. Not everybody is a Stalin, a dictator. You're sitting there and you're saying, there shouldn't be a war, but here's a, a Hitler that's going to march on. Are you going to blame Poland? What are they supposed to do? They're not supposed to fight back? By the way, I, I always say in the Warsaw Ghetto, 
if the Jews in the Warsaw, who they fought back, they staved off those Nazis. They fought. That's a story of courage. And they didn't have guns. Imagine if the citizens had guns. Now, they wouldn't defeat the Nazi army, but you'd hear about it. The New York Times couldn't make believe they didn't know if those Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto had guns to fight back. Because what they did have was the courage and the commitment to stand up to the tyranny. So don't tell me religions cause wars. It's cause and effect, buddy. And the cause of wars is the human greed. There's a show on TV my wife likes to watch, and it's called American Greed. I hate it. It's good stories, don't get me wrong. They're true stories. It ain't American Greed. It's not unique. We're not greedy beyond other people's greed. We're probably less greedy in some respects, in many respects. So it's not American greed. It's human greed. People come and they want to take over the world. They want to gather every piece of treasure they can find and make it their own. They also want to confine and take over and enslave everybody, either as indentured servants, as slaves. This is what the Communist Party is all about. Yeah, you, you want to call it capitalism. Capitalism, everybody has the opportunity to rise up and start their own companies, their own businesses. They can get educated. People are free to move up. You're not that free. You don't have the freedom in communism. Okay, the state dictates everything. That's where it's at. And that state's going to take over the next state that they're able to dominate. That's what China, the Chinese Communist Party, is preparing to do now. That's what Russia is doing as they amass on the border of the Ukraine. And that's why we got to celebrate the human spirit that drives us to fight for our freedom. You got to celebrate that. And you celebrate that by believing in something. If you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to believe in anything else. You got to believe in something. And that's why Christmas is so important. I want to keep on this subject, at least through Christmas. We got to talk more about the importance of Christmas, the importance of the belief in God. Believing in God is just believing in goodness. Religion isn't a bad thing. It's really the operating manual of life. Religion is just brings people together and says, okay, listen, when you're born, this is what happens. When you give birth, this is what happens. When your child is three years old, this is seven years old. This is a path to humanity, to your growth. And from confirmation to the next step, when you get married, you get, this is all the path that you're going to follow. You choose which one you want to follow and you pick and choose. You know, what path that you want to follow. You're free to choose that. When you follow religion, it doesn't dictate how you're going to live. It's a suggestion. That's what it is. Yeah, I know they say the Ten Commandments are the Ten Suggestions. Well, they are. Hello? Yeah, they are. The only commandments you get are the laws from the government. I'm New York Mike. <laughs> yeah, I know. I get a little lost on these tangents. I get that. Every once in a while, forgive me, for I have sinned. I love you guys. Appreciate you being out there. And Rolling Right Radio, Roll Right Radio, tell your friends, subscribe. Thanks for being there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your comments. We appreciate every one of them. I'm New York Mike. This is Roll Right Radio, and I am out.
Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio Podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.